1: That's 15% off at borough.com
0: slash ACAST. Just over a week ago, Joe Biden traveled to Warsaw to deliver a landmark speech on the Ukraine crisis. Everyone listening thought it was going very, very well until this.
1: For God's sake, this man cannot remain powerful.
0: That sentence was not in the script. Joe Biden had wandered off message. Instantly, White House aides scrambled to say no, he hadn't announced a new policy of regime change. The effect was to undermine not just the speech, but Biden himself, suggesting he wasn't in control of his own message. So all of this got me thinking, does the Joe Biden White House have a communications problem? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist for The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. To talk about all this, I invited Paul Begala back on the show. Paul is a former senior advisor to Bill Clinton, now a political analyst for CNN. He was watching that Biden speech in Warsaw. What did he make of it?
1: I was all for what he said, in that he meant it. And I think it's a wonderful thing when a leader tells us what he actually or she actually thinks. He thinks Putin's got no business being in power. And he knows uh, that Putin's got a finger on the nuclear button. And that's an appalling reality. He didn't say it is the position of the government of the United States that we will remove Vladimir Putin. He did not say that. So I, I wouldn't have walked it back. I don't think they should have walked it back. To me, it was reminiscent of of when Ronald Reagan insisted on calling the Soviet Union the evil empire. To ignore the facts of history and the aggressive impulses of an evil empire, to simply call the arms race a giant misunderstanding. And the experts didn't like it and his staff kept taking it out and he just did it. He did it because he thought it and he meant it. And I think history
0: proved him right. I think history will prove Mr. Biden right. Is the key difference that the phrase evil empire was in the text. Yes. It had gone through the processes. People had approved it, even, as you say, with those struggles. In this case, Joe Biden deviated from the text. He ad-libbed. And that was the problem. It hadn't gone through all the filters and processes that the White House want. And therefore, that was what was wrong with it. Well, that that is what was
1: wrong with it. I don't think that's a big problem. Having been one of those people who have vetted presidential speeches, uh, I'm sort of betraying my former colleagues. But it's what he thinks. Of course, a man who orders slaughter like this has no business being in power. And people say, oh, it's going to upset Putin or it's going to trigger Putin. Putin's pretty triggered. You know, I I think he's kind of all in on this deal. So I just disagree. I just think that this was not the time – For the White House, the American government, to second guess what their commander in chief said in a moment of spontaneity, but heartfelt spontaneity. It's not like he got something wrong. He didn't say Slovenia when he meant Slovakia. He said, good God, this man should not be in power.
0: Uh, When it it all happened, and your words now remind me of what the journalist Michael Kinsley used to say, the Washington definition of a gaffe, which is when a politician accidentally tells the truth, uh, and that this was one of those moments, in your view, because you you agreed with what he said. But let's go then to what then happened next, which is then White House officials did, in the jargon, walk the remark back. Now, first of all, I think you've told us that you don't think they should have done that, but let's talk a little bit... About the mechanics of how the walkback was done, because a lot of people in your line of work, in your trade, former and ex White House officials have said it was the way it was done wasn't good. So just tell us how it was done and what you make of it. Well, I'm I'm an old
1: friend of uh, Tony Blinken's, but uh, he had to take the 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 spear for this one. Right, he stepped out and said that's not what we mean. That's not what we. And then and then a lot of people, somebody, backgrounded reporters without their name, saying, look, we didn't have it in the prepared text. We... My guess, it's only a guess, but it's informed by experience, is that America's European allies didn't like it. And that's the most important thing right now for Biden is European unity. And it's easy for me outside of government to say, well, he should have doubled down instead of walked it back. And I still believe that. But my guess is they got some pretty intense blowback. And if you look, I mean, certainly the, the Brits have been in lockstep, but even the Germans who were very slow to come into any kind of serious opposition to Putin, uh, are there. And my guess is that Tony was hearing from his counterparts in this coalition, and that's what prompted him to walk it back.
0: Yes, indeed. There's a lot of reporting saying that the French president, Emmanuel Macron, sort of shuddered at the thought of oh here we go again with another regime change agenda. In this case I think you know as you said there was a on on the record and also a background intervention by an official. Uh, a couple of ex-pros have been saying look maybe what should have happened in this case is you grab a friendly reporter after the event, in the huddle, and you give them two minutes face-to-face with the president, where the president then says, look, you know me. I, of course, I wasn't announcing a new policy. I was just saying X. And then the reporter gets the word out, and that kind of hoses it all down. I mean, first of all, is that how it works? Have you done that? And and, and would that have been quite a good method in this case? I have done that.
1: Uh, in this case, they chose not to, and they're there, and I'm not. It probably would have been better to do the way you suggest, which is to get the president himself face-to-face, on the record, saying, here's what I mean by that. And I think he could then say, and I mean every word of it. And here's what it does not mean. It does not mean I'm committing troops. We are still stopping short of a single boot on the ground or a single plane in the air. We're not going to engage militarily. But yes, you know, in other words, he could have done that personally. I think that would have been better. I, I it's. I don't think it's a good look. When, you know, staff is saying uh, on background, oh, what the president meant, he didn't really mean it. They did that to Reagan all the time. And I think it uh, fostered an image that somehow he
0: was this, uh, you know, doddering old man. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the point about Reagan's age because that is the common thread here. Right. Uh, and the, the w- a walk back with a president who's touching 80 is more sensitive because it does make him look as if, as you just said about Reagan back then, a Dodry old man, he can't, you know, he's not completely in command of the, of, the of, of of what he wants to say. For that reason, I mean, you worked for a young fit president in Bill Clinton, obviously people who worked for Obama. If you're working for a president like Joe Biden, does that change in a way how you operate? Because there is that risk. Yes. That if you do start correcting the record, people are going to talk. When you have a president who's 78, uh, I think it's even more important
1: that you don't background, that he didn't really mean what he plainly meant. He meant it so much that he departed from the text to say so. That did more damage than the supposed gaffe.
0: It's an interesting thing with Biden particularly because even when he was young, He would deviate off script. He was known as a guy who would ad lib. He sometimes could ramble a bit. But people would say, you know, that's who he really is. He feels these things strongly. And David Axelrod, obviously was head of comms, director of communications for Barack Obama, has this rule that politicians, their strength is also their weakness. And he says in this case that Biden's great strength is his authenticity, that he is a bit, you know, real. And he isn't sort of this uh, perfect political performer. But the downside of that is it can lead to these unscripted and you know, potentially problematic remarks. Given all that, different guy from the guy you worked for, what do you think is the best way for the current team to be handling an operator like Joe Biden? With Biden, the gaffes are baked in the cake. People know that,
1: as they did with George W. Bush. Bush's team did a very clever thing. Bush would get things wrong a lot, and he was very prone to malaprops, as you can recall. I mean, he famously said, is our children learning? Well, what the Bush team did, this is very clever, is they said, see, those malaprops are uh, a sign of his authenticity. He's not slick like Clinton. He's not programmed like Gore. He just says it, and he will mangle a few syllables, but he means it. And, And I thought that was genius. Uh, And I I think that's what the Biden team needs to do. Axe and President Obama had a very buttoned up shop, and I admire that. But the one time somebody uh, got off the message was when Joe Biden publicly said, well, I am for gay marriage. I am absolutely comfortable with the fact that men marrying men, women marrying women, and heterosexual men and women marrying another are entitled to the same exact rights. Long before Barack Obama did. And that was not administration policy. I know President Biden for over 30 years. And if something is in his heart, it's going to come out of his mouth. And I know that gave Axe heartburn and it probably gave the president heartburn at the time. But that's what Biden believes. And he's just not a guy who can keep these things bottled up. But I, I think it, you have to make it a virtue because you have no
0: choice. I, I mean, when he took office, I remember thinking it's going to work this. People are going to like the fact that he's real. And yet here we are just over, it's over about a year since you and I last spoke, but a year plus into the Biden presidency. And the numbers are pretty awful. I mean, the poll, his approval rating, I'm just looking at the latest polls, disapproval nearly 53%, approval around 41%. And then on specifics, you know, confidence in handling the economy, for example, it goes into the low 30s, which means even all Democrats are not on board with Joe Biden that suggests to me that there is a communications problem for him. Let me just take one specific example, and that is unemployment. It's at 3.6% under President Biden, which is actually relatively pretty low. And yet when asked, more Americans think jobs have been lost in the last year, instead of uh, jobs being gained. That says a lot about how he's seen, but also about how He's communicating that there is a good news story, and yet Joe Biden is not able to communicate it. We've talked about the foreign problem. Now the domestic, it does seem as if there is a pattern here, which is even when there's a good story to tell, it's not being told.
1: This is the exception that proves the rule. One of my rules in politics is any time a politician tells you they have a communications problem, you know one thing. They do not have a communications problem. You know, the Titanic had an iceberg problem. It did not have a communications problem. 95% of Americans got a check for $1,400 a person from Joe Biden. Only 35% of Americans think Biden has done anything for them. That gap, that 60-point gap is communications. And as I say, I almost never ascribe problems to communications. But I think what it is, is this, Jonathan. He got elected to restore some normalcy and calm. And yet, now that I'm in the media for over 20 years, we cover conflict. And he has been very reticent to make Republicans pay a price for opposing his very popular things. In other words, he thinks he'll get credit for his accomplishments just by saying, hey, I did this good thing. Hey, I did this good thing. Well, people don't want to give credit. They're in a foul mood. So they're not going to say, oh, gosh, I guess you did do a good job. But if he says – I fought hard to get you this money and they took it away. The reason you didn't get a second $1,400 check is the Republicans took it away. You can't convince them that things are better than they know in their bones they are, but you can convince them that the other guy's worse.
0: You're identifying the phenomenon really in the character of the president, that he is a consensus mm-hmm. builder, he always was in the Senate, rather than a kind of street fighter, and yet presidential communication is putting up in lights a battle yes. with an opponent. And you're suggesting in a way Biden's temperament doesn't really equip him for that. Yes, and I, I I came across this
1: wonderful quote, it's an epiphany for me. Walt Disney once said, my movies are only as good as my villains are evil. Hmm. and. If you think about the great Disney movies, it's true. The the Wicked Witch here or even Scar in in Lion King when Disney himself was long gone. We need villains in our stories, particularly if you want your president to be the hero. Presidents need a villain. And Vladimir Putin, God knows, is a colossal villain, historic villain. And I think that does give Biden the reference point that he needs to communicate. It's why I've been happy with his communications about Ukraine. But here at home, God blessed Bill Clinton with Newt Gingrich. (laughs) Because he was a, a, a cartoon villain. Obama's opponents were a little more deft. And Frankly, it's, it's impossible to hate Paul Ryan and John Boehner, the Republicans who led the Congress when he was president. But, but Clinton did have those villains. And I believe Biden does. And I think he needs at home to maintain the thread of the threat because that is real. And I'm not saying he needs to to demonize anybody personally, but he's got to tell people that Joni Mitchell was right. You don't know what you got till it's gone. And if these guys take power, they're going to take away your health care. They're going to take away your jobs. They're going to take away your retirement.
0: Surely that is the cue then for this question, which is that maybe Joe Biden's best ever message, the one that got him elected president, was two words, stop Trump. Does he need Trump back out there as the menace which will make Democrats, independents, all the other people that put him into the White House to rally to him once again? I think so. And, you know, uh, Democrats ran against Herbert Hoover for decades, and poor
1: President (laughs) Hoover just went off to Stanford and retired. (laughs) He just read books. He never poked his head up again, and yet my party ran against him for generations. Mr. Trump, we know, is very active. He's still hosting rallies. He's raising millions of dollars. He's clearly running, plainly running for president again. So he's got an actual villain. So yes, I think he needs that. And he 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 came up, Biden himself came up with the, I think the most wonderful formulation when he was vice president for Obama. And I was helping uh, Obama's reelection by working for a super PAC that supported Obama. Biden went out and he would say to groups, don't compare us to the almighty, compare us to the alternative. I love that. Why don't we hear it anymore? Why isn't he giving us the alternative? He's left that out and he's got to get back to the threat
0: now we've talked a lot about biden and his communication obviously the day-to-day business of communications is done by a whole team in the white house you've been part of those teams let's just talk about how good team biden is at doing this job whether they're getting the message out there and all of this is p- become particularly sharp because the white house press secretary jen sarki it's been widely reported is On her way out, with talk of her getting a job, making the same transition you did into TV punditry with MSNBC, I mean, how good a job do you think she's done? How big a blow to Team Biden will it be if she goes? Or in a way, does this present a chance for a fresh start and perhaps somebody who does, you know, take on board some of the things you've been telling us today?
1: Saki has been fantastic. I think she has been a model press secretary and uh, I think her tenure will be studied. By both parties. You know, when when Clinton was president, I studied Reagan and I studied his team because they were great. I didn't agree with his agenda at all, but I recognized their talent. I think Jen is that good. Uh, He's got a very strong communications team. Uh, I I think the piece of it that's missing is the much more partisan piece. And the reason they haven't been partisan is because Joe Biden doesn't want him to. I admire uh, as a matter of character that Biden doesn't want to go there. But as a political strategist, I, I think his party needs
0: to. It's interesting because there is often a dynamic when you have one of these sort of consensual, often avuncular presidents. The vice president does take the job of being the attacker. I sense you think that Kamala Harris hasn't quite been taking on that role and perhaps she should. She has not been taking it on. And I suspect it's because of the president. She was
1: a prosecutor, and I think every Democrat at least remembers her disemboweling William Barr when he was attorney general. Barr is a brilliant lawyer and a very tough guy, and she took him apart at the Senate Judiciary Committee when she was a senator. So she's fully capable of it. Uh, I suspect it's that the, the, you know, the president sets a tone, and my, my guess is he's made it clear he doesn't want his White House to be this partisan. But it's got to move somewhere, this uh, contrasting message. And it's, it's not being done right now.
0: You said earlier that, you know, sometimes you have a communications problem, and sometimes you're the Titanic and you have an iceberg problem. So sometimes the problem is the reality. In this case, is the problem, because you've told us he's got a very good team and he's, you know, he's an experienced pole himself. Is the problem in this case that his party and the, particularly the fact that that he doesn't have a proper majority in the Senate, which you need to get things done and get law bills turned into laws. And particularly, and we've talked about them on this podcast very often, those two senators, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, who have between them essentially prevented the big promises that Joe Biden made from being, materialising into law, and I'm thinking particularly of the Build Back Better social infrastructure programme. Is it in a way a mistake to focus on comms when really there's, unless they pass that, you just don't have a story to communicate? And if that is the case, I mean, what do you then do about it? If, almost from a commons point of view, do you just go to the the, the other senators and say, "Look, let's just pass the most slim down bill possible, just to get those two mansion and cinema on board, because we need something to communicate about come November and those midterm elections." I think they should get whatever
1: they can, as slim as as it needs to be. But I don't think that's going to be outcome determinative. The truth is, they have plenty to communicate about. The recovery plan was two trillion dollars there's so many accomplishments in there that it takes time to unpack them all. I, I live in rural Virginia. There is $64 billion, $64 billion for funding rural broadband so that farmers can have access to high quality pornography. That's more than we spend at the entire National Institutes of Health. I'm all for it. Okay, that's fine. But good God, they have plenty of spending That they've passed to brag on. I I, I just, I do think here's where his party has let him down desperately. The moderates have convinced moderate voters that Biden is trying to spend too much and he's caused inflation. The liberals have convinced liberal voters that Biden can't get anything done. He's breaking all his promises. So everybody's unhappy. That's hard to do. To alienate both wings of your party at the same time is very difficult. And yet, my party has been able to do that. And I, I think it's appalling. Nothing unites the, the people of Earth like a threat from Mars. And I think Trump is a threat from Mars, and yet it is not uniting my party. I don't get it. So get over it, unite, and do the best you can and live to fight another day. But they have to unify. Meanwhile, Republicans are in lockstep and they're opposing these very popular things and getting away with it because the all of the attention is on the Democratic infighting. It, it's appalling.
0: That's high quality media advice uh, for the Biden administration. You get it for free here on Politics Weekly America. Paul, we always ask our guests on the podcast a what else question. So this week on Tuesday, Ivanka Trump appeared before the January the 6th committee, uh, that committee of the House of Representatives that's looking into the attempted insurrection on Capitol Hill back in 2021. Ivanka Trump appeared before them. What did you make of it? Not much. My faith and confidence
1: in Ms. Trump is very low. I doubt she provided very much It's very helpful. What people say when they testify is important to them because they can be charged with perjury. It's enormously fraught with risk for the person testifying. But short of that, the case is made in the evidence, in the documents, in the texts, in the emails, in the photographs, in the videos. That's where the case is made. Um, And so I'm just not as interested as most people in the press are about whether Ms. Trump testifies or Mr. Kushner apparently has or whether Mark Meadows will. I don't really care what they have to say because I think they're all a pack of liars. I'm sorry. I may be wrong, but that's what I think. I I have a high level of distrust for what they say, but they can't change the written record and the video record. And that's what the committee already has. And I I think they're going to be able to build a very a thorough case based, uh, uh, not at all
0: on whether Mr. Trump or Mrs. Trump or whatever, any of these people
1: testify in person.
0: And talking of comm strategy, it seems that committee has got a pretty neat comm strategy of its own, holding back a whole lot of revelations, not allowing them to come out in a Mueller report style drip, drip, drip over a period of months, but instead holding them back. It, does that seem deliberate to you? And do you think it's smart?
1: Yes, they've been very tight. I give Chairman Thompson a lot of credit for that. He's a very able congressional leader. By the way, I give Congresswoman Cheney a lot of credit for that. We don't agree on pretty much any issue, but she loves the Constitution more than her party, and I admire that. And I believe that she also is bringing a discipline to this that is admirable and pretty rare among politicians.
0: Paul Begala, thanks so much for joining us once again on Politics Weekly America. Jonathan, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. And that is all from me for this week. On Wednesday's episode of Politics Weekly UK, my colleague John Harris and his guests discussed the rather spectacular fall in popularity for the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, as the cost of living crisis continues to bite across the country. So do search for Politics Weekly UK wherever you get your podcasts. On Politics Weekly America, we've got something a bit different for you. Next week. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Danielle Stevens, the executive producer is Maz Eptahaj. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks as always for listening. This is the Guardian.
1: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com/slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
0: Hi, I'm Dory Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever
1: 35. And today